am so excited to be with you this morning. As Pastor Reagan said, we have been in our series, Some Assembly Required, where we have been talking all about community. How many of you guys have enjoyed this series? I have enjoyed this series. It has been so good. I have been challenged myself. I have been challenged to take a next step in community. I hope that you have been as well. Just to kind of recap, maybe you haven't been with us, but I think this is good for us to kind of recap so we can settle into where we're going to be today. But we have been talking about community. In fact, Pastor Reagan has been sharing all this month, and he started us out with a question, which was, why community? We asked the question, is it important for us to actually be in community with each other? And we said emphatically, yes. In fact, God has designed us to be in community with others. In fact, we belong to one another, right? So we were designed to be in community. It's important for you to have community in your life. In the second week, we talked about what we bring to community, that we actually are called to bring something to the table. And in fact, Pastor Reagan said that we bring our authenticity, our transparency, our integrity. These are the things that we bring to the table to make our community healthy, right? We all want to be a part of healthy community. In week three, we talked about what we give to community. That we're actually called to be givers in community. And in fact, he said that there were two different mindsets you can have when it comes to community. Number one, you can be a contributor or or you can be a consumer. A contributor says, what can I bring to the table? A consumer says, what can I get? We are called to be contributors in community. We're called to give. We're called to, to bring our gifts and, and kind of spur one another on, right? And then last week, we talked about what we get out of community, that community is a gift. It's a gift from God, and we actually get something out of it when we're a part of it. In fact, Jessica Hayes was up here. She shared her testimony, really powerful time that she shared, just of how during this house fire that they've experienced, how communities really rallied around them. It's been really, really amazing testimony of God's favor of her through community. And we talked about that out of community, we get, first of all, we get divine friction, right? That as we belong to one another, we start rubbing up against each other, but that causes us to be sharpened, right? We're sharpened by one another. We get to borrow each other's faith, right? When we're going through a hard season, we have our, our brothers and our sisters in community to help encourage us and help spur us on. And then we get shared freedom, that as we're together, we, we, we share freedom together, it's been really awesome, and so today we are tying it up with a message called A Place at the Table, The Power of an Invitation. Today we're going to be talking about invitation, and you may be sitting there thinking, how or why are we talking about invitation when the whole month is supposed to be about community? And this is what I can tell you. We were designed to be in healthy community with each other. As we've gone through these weeks, we've talked about what does healthy community look like. But the problem is, is that that community is not just to be for us. We're not to hoard what God has given us. In fact, this is an inclusive community. God intends for us to invite others. So I think it's kind of fitting that we would talk about invitation in this last week. In fact, before we kind of jump in, I'd like for you to pray with me. We're going to ask that God would be with us. I know we've prayed a couple of times already, but just join me. Well, Lord, we're so thankful for you, God. What a blessing it is that we can come before you, we can worship you, that we can lift your name high, God. I'm so thankful for this time of worship that we had together, that we would glorify you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you would be with us for this next couple of moments. Lord, that I thank you that your word says that our minds are renewed by your word. So God, I pray that as we are in your word, our minds would be renewed. God, I, I pray, God, that you would challenge us, that you would inspire us, and that you would move us to action. 
I thank you for every single person that is sitting in this room. I thank you that they are to be here for a reason. And I pray that you would meet every need that they have, God. We love you so much. And everybody said amen. Okay. So what I want you to do is I'm going to ask you a question. I'd like for you to participate, okay? So raise your hand if you have ever been extended an invitation. You've been invited to a wedding, a shower, a party, a dinner, a date, the movies, to play sports. Okay, look around. We've all been invited, right? We've all known what it's like to receive an invitation. There's something really powerful about an invitation because at the end of the day, an invitation just feels really good, doesn't it? You know, I love this place. I love this community. I love New Hope. I have been coming to New Hope since I was about 18. I was a part of another church, and we were a smaller church, and, but New Hope was actually kind of helping us out, and then we ended up just coming here, and, you know, we just became a part of, of what this is. And I'll never forget, you know, I grew up in very small churches. Like, the church I grew up in most of my life had 50, 60 people maybe. And so when I got here, it was very overwhelming. There was just a lot of people, and I was kind of trying to figure out, like, where I could fit in and belong in community. And so I went to a youth service, and I walked back there, and here I am. I'm just trying to figure out where do I fit in, where do I fit in. And I was invited to a birthday breakfast for someone. And I was super excited. I didn't really know her well, but I was like, birthday breakfast, done. Because what you need to know about me is when I, when I was 18, I fell in love with the Food Network channel. I was like, I'm going to be the next Bobby Flay. I can feel it. And um, I would watch it. In fact, I would make my thing, and they would make theirs, and I would pretend like I was eating what they were cooking because it definitely didn't look like what I was doing. And so I, I loved, like, I was just obsessed with, like, Food Network. I just, I, I wanted to be Bobby Flay. And so... I get invited to a birthday breakfast, and they're like, hey, everybody needs to bring something. I'm like, done. I am basically a chef in training, so this should be great. And um, so they're like, you know, whatever, whatever you want to bring is great. And I'm like, okay, well, I will bring a breakfast casserole because I thought that can't be that hard. I've seen my mom do it. It's like some hash browns, some sausage, some eggs, and some cheese. Can't be that hard. So I'm like, I'll, I will bring that. They're like, okay, that's perfect. And why you, what's important for you to know why this invitation just meant the world to me is because when I was 18 and I came here to New Hope for the very first time, I'd actually experienced a season of loss. In fact, when I was 17, the very beginning of my senior year of high school, my dad was um, diagnosed with terminal cancer. And um, it was a pretty rough little go at it. And um, the summer of 2005, my dad passed away. I had just turned 18, just graduated from high school. And I was really struggling. Because in my senior year of high school, I didn't, I kind of was isolating myself. You know, everybody else was going to football games, and they were going to pep rallies, and they were hanging out, doing all these things. And I was going home, and I was helping my mom with my dad who was dying. So senior year was a little different for me, and because of that, I kind of just had disconnected. I'd, I'd really isolated myself. And so when I came to New Hope, I was determined that I was going to reconnect. I knew that I needed the body of Christ. So when I got invited to this birthday breakfast, I was so excited because I was like, this is going to be it. I'm going to plug in and I'm going to have community. So breakfast casserole. I'm like, I'm going to do it. No big deal. Go to the grocery store. I'm picking out all the ingredients. Most of it is frozen. It's not that hard, but I really, in my heart, was like, this is I'm so good. And so I get, to, I get all the things, and I'm here at the cheese aisle, and I have two options before me. There is shredded cheese, and then there is a block of cheese. Now, every show that I have watched on the Food Network channel, they grate their own cheese. Bobby Flay would not be caught dead with shredded cheese in a bag. So I thought, done, block of cheese, good, we're good. So I got up that morning, 
the day of the birthday breakfast, and I was getting all the ingredients together, making my casserole. I put all the things in, the hash browns and the sausage and the eggs and, like, doing the whole thing. And I'm like, now I need to shred the cheese. No big deal. So I get out my grater, get out my cheese, and I'm shredding away. I'm feeling very good about what's happening. I feel like if I would have rate myself, I would have given it a 10. It was going very well. And I get down to what I refer to as the nub of the cheese. It is the very end part where... I now know that most chefs throw it away because you realize that it's not worth the hassle of that little small piece of cheese. But I was like, no, all this cheese is going in this casserole. So I was shredding the nub, shredding the nub, shredding the nub. All of a sudden, on the grater, I nicked my thumb. I started bleeding. Immediately, I reached for the napkins. No blood got on any of the stuff. That's so good. And I'm like, man, what happened? What happened? I kind of looked down, and I was like, there is a piece of my thumb that's not here anymore. I'm like watching it, like it's not on my thumb, so it must be where the grating happened. I'm like looking at the cheese, I'm looking at my thumb, and a decision is before me. Now it's very important for you to understand that when you're 18, your brain is not fully developed. I now know that. Because when I was making a decision, I was like, will will I or will I not use the cheese? I had to use the cheese. What is a breakfast casserole without a cheese? So I put the cheese on there, flesh and all. In my head, I was like, well, it's going to bake out, so it's not that really that big of a deal. So I put the cheese on, baked the casserole, took it to the the party. Everybody ate it. Nobody was the wiser. It wasn't until years after that that I even told anybody that I did that. And I'm not proud of myself, but what I can tell you is they all enjoyed it. So hashtag winning. Here's Here's the thing. And I know what you're thinking. You're judging me, and now you will not eat what I bring to the potluck. And that's okay. I, I actually get it. It's actually why I struggle with potlucks now, because I know what I did, and I just, I know the temptation to use the cheese. But I say all that to say, you know, the reality is that birthday breakfast, you and I could be sitting here, and you're like, man, that's not a, that big of a deal, but for me, it was everything. There was power in the invitation that was extended to me. And we all know that because if you've ever been extended an invitation, you would know that an invitation communicates a couple of things. Number one, it communicates that you are wanted. An invitation communicates that you're welcome. An invitation communicates that someone thought about you and when they were getting their party together decided that you needed to be in the room. An invitation says that you have a place at the table, that you belong. There's a lot of power in it, right? And today, one of two, if you're you're probably one of two people, and I want to kind of give you this encouragement. Number one, if you're sitting in here and you are a believer, which means that you've asked the Lord into your heart. He's the savior of your life. My hope today is that you will be challenged in what a privilege it is that we get to extend the invitation of the gospel. I hope that we're all challenged. We need to be challenged. But if you're sitting in this room today and maybe you have not made a decision for the Lord, maybe you've never taken that step and asked the Lord to come and be the Lord of your life, then my hope for you today is that as we explore Jesus, that you will get a taste of who he is, that he is good. The psalmist says, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. He's really good. And I hope today that you get a picture of a God who is inviting and welcoming and he wants you. He wants you. Because at the end of the day, Jesus, God, he is the greatest inviter and he is the greatest includer of all time. There is no one that is better at including and inviting than God himself. And here's the deal. Maybe you don't know that. 
maybe you're sitting here and that's not something that you really know deep down in your heart. And if I'm going to be really honest in all transparency, you know, this was kind of my story. You know, we started, my mom started taking me to church when I was around eight or nine years old. And so for about 25 years, I have been in a church community and I loved it. In fact, when we started going, we were all in. My mom was the all-in kind. We went to the prayer meetings and the Wednesday night service and the Sunday night, and we were all in. And I'm young, but old enough that I'm forming ideas about who God is. I'm taking what people are saying and what I'm reading and what I'm hearing and what I'm watching other people do, and I'm making all kinds of um, kind of ideas and conclusions about who God is. And the church that we grew up in was a really small church in Edgefield, South Carolina. And really, I have some of the best memories of my growing up was at that church. I, I grew up with two parents who didn't have huge families. And so when I joined that church, it was like I got to have a, a huge family. These, all these people felt like they, we belonged to one another. I mean, like we were calling them sisters and brothers. I didn't really quite understand it because they seemed to be older than me, but they were my sisters and my brothers. And so we were doing the whole thing. And I was, you know, so excited. And I was, in fact, I actually got saved. I accepted Jesus into my, my heart in a Sunday school classroom. And in fact, my Sunday school teacher, her name was Miss Arlene Mitchum, and I will never forget her. She taught the Bible so unbelievably well. I loved hearing her teach about the Bible. I remember coming to that Sunday school class, and I was so excited to hear the next story. I didn't really hear a lot of these growing up. So as you can imagine, I'm like eight or nine years old sitting at the, sitting at the, the floor, and she brings out the flannel graph. How many of you know about the flannel graph? You know, if you grew up in church, yeah, they would bring out a whole big, you know, it'd be like a wall of fabric, and they would bring out the Bible characters, and the Bible characters would stick on the flannel graph, and it, would, it was like watching a movie. I was like, this is like the Avengers, you know, like, look at all these people. I remember, you know, being enthralled when she would talk about, like, David and how he cut the head off Goliath, and I'm like, what? Wow, it's like, young boy did this? What? You know, and I remember when she was talking about how Jonah wouldn't go to Nineveh, so he was swallowed up in the belly of a whale, and he lived there for three days, and I'm like, what? What is happening? I love this book. This is crazy, some crazy stuff happening, you know? And I had this very specific memory, very specific, of sitting in Miss Mitchum's Sunday school classroom, and she was talking about the story of Jesus and Peter. So all the disciples were on a boat. Maybe you know this story. And they're out in the waves, and it's kind of rocking. There's a storm coming, and they see Jesus. Jesus is walking on water. I'm like, what? He can walk on what is happening in this Sunday school room? You know, like, what? And so he's walking out, and he, you know, he says, Peter, you know, step out of the boat. And I'm so enthralled. I mean, like, me, I'm, me and Miss Mitchum, I'm like, what, what is going to happen? You know, will he get out of the boat? Will he walk on water? Can we all walk on water? I, didn't, I don't know. You know, a lot of questions that I have. And I'll never forget this little boy raises his hand, and he's like, Miss Mitchum. And Miss Mitchum, she kind of stops, and she kind of looks at him, and she was like, yes, Timmy. And Timmy said, Miss Mitchum, my mom told me that if you tell a lie, God will strike you dead. Immediately, attention from Peter and Jesus immediately to Timmy. I'm like, what? Excuse me? God, what about God striking you dead? I'm like, she's, she lost me. She tried to, you know, carry on. I was done. I'm like, lock eyes with Timmy. Because the reality is, you and I are both assuming the same thing, that Timmy is a liar. That's the only reason why his mom would tell him that God strikes liars dead, because he lies. So she's like trying to help him out. She's trying to help him be a good adult. And the, the deal is, though, is that I'm sitting across from Timmy. 
I'm also a liar. So I'm like, Timmy, we need to talk. Like after Sunday school, we need to, I mean, like how many lies are we allowed to tell before he strikes us dead? Is this like a bolt of lightning? Is it in a living room? Do we go outside? Is it going to fall? Lots of questions, right? So some of my earliest memories are me trying to figure this out. Now I have this idea that God will strike you dead if you tell a lie. So I'm like, oh, got to watch it, you know. Then I remember going, you know, we would be in prayer meetings and we would be with all the sisters, you know, Sister So-and-so and Sister Mary and everybody would be, you know, telling prayer requests. They'd be asking like, hey, I, you know, we really need to pray for Sarah's son. You know, he's really struggling. And I remember them being like, yeah, God's going to get him. God's going to get him. I'm like, what? Like, I'm just sitting there thinking like, are we all not scared about God getting him? Because I don't know about you, but I grew up watching cops. And so when I think of God getting people, I think of helicopter, light, but he's roaming the earth, trying to figure them out. I am like, what is happening? Like now, not only will God strike us dead, he will get us and he will find us. He's tracking us down. And then I remember this older gentleman, I, I really loved him. We called him Brother Eddie. He was very, very sweet. Always, he was like all of our uncle and he would, you know, bring us toys, the kids' toys. And I love being around him. And I remember him making a lot of comments about, um, you know, like somebody would ask him like, oh, Brother Eddie, are you going to um, gonna go hunting or fishing next weekend? And he'd be like, oh, I don't know. Got to ask the big man upstairs. And I'm like, what? So he's upstairs. So there are a set of stairs, and he is up them. Question, where are the stairs at? Are they tall? They have to be because it's heaven. So, like, it has to reach from here into there, and then, like, where are they located? Second question, you said that he's big. So, are we talking, like, Jurassic Park big? Like, I need some kind of idea, Brother Eddie, about the bigness of God. Are we talking, like, he's seven feet, or is he, like, a Tyrannosaurus Rex? There's a lot of options here. And so, here I am. I'm making a lot of conclusions about who God is. You know, and if I'm honest, when I was growing up, I didn't think that God was a super invitational God. That is not what I thought he was. I didn't see God and think, oh, he's welcoming, that he's telling us that we belong, that he's extending an invitation to us to experience the goodness of him. I knew that he was holy, and that is good because he is holy. But a lot of the ideas that I had about God was that he was going to strike me dead, that he was angry, that he was mad at me, he was going to get me, you know. If, I, I was, if I'm honest, I was kind of scared of him, you know. And unknowingly, in life, maybe you didn't grow up with those stories, but you, you have grown up and you have done your adult life, and maybe you have some preconceived ideas about who God is. And maybe they're not right. Maybe you haven't heard who God really is. But I'm here to tell you today that we can know God. And in fact, if we're going to talk about invitation, it is not enough for me to sit up here and tell you that God has a heart for invitation. It is important for you to know God's heart when it comes to invitation. If we're going to have the conviction to invite, then we have to know what God says about it. And today, you can know God's heart when it comes to invitation, when it comes, when it comes to anything. You can actually know God's heart because when we look at Jesus, we see God. We see his heart, what he wants from us. And in fact, I want to read a scripture with you guys. If you'll join me, it's John 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. Just to kind of give you a little bit of context here. Jesus is, he's gathered with his disciples. They're all kind of hanging out. And he's comforting his disciples because at this point he's already predicted. He's told them like, hey, I'm going to die. And they're kind of like, what? You're going to do what? And, and then he predicts that someone's going to betray him, even in that group. 
And then he predicts that Peter's going to deny him. So you can imagine they're all kind of like up in arms, like what's happening? And so Jesus, as he's comforting them, he says this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, then you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So what Jesus is telling us is that if we see him and we look at what he does and what he says and what he's about, then we know the heart of the Father. So to me, today, the only option we have is to look at the life of Jesus. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he is an inviter. In fact, there is no greater inviter and includer than Jesus. In fact, when I look at the life and ministry of Jesus, I see a couple of things. I see the fact that he was always looking for people. It never stopped. He was always looking for people. And the second thing I see is that he was always inviting people to step out of the life that they were in and to step into a life that they never even thought was possible. That is what he did. He was the great inviter. And not only was Jesus always looking for people, he was looking for the people that other people weren't looking for. That's what Jesus, that's who he loved to be around. In fact, we can see that because we're not going to go there, but I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it. In John chapter 4, we see this encounter with Jesus and a Samaritan woman. Now, what's really important for you to know is that Jesus is he's with his disciples. They're kind of traveling, and so they decide to stop in Samaria, and he goes to a well. He sends his disciples off to go get some food, and he's sitting there. And I would imagine he's waiting. Because here comes a Samaritan woman. She's come to draw water from the well, and it's about noon. So here's what we can know from the context. Number one, the fact that she has decided to come at noon to the well says a lot about where she's at in life. It says to me that she's avoiding some people because people didn't just go and draw well, draw water from the well at noon. They would go in the mornings because it was really hot in the, noon, in the afternoon. So it leads me to believe that she was avoiding some people, maybe because of what she was in. We'll, we'll, we will come to find out that's, that's really what it is because of her lifestyle. But Jesus is there and he meets with her. And in fact, when he meets with her, she's kind of like already taken off guard because it's also important for you to know that at that time, Samaritans and Jews did not mix with each other. They didn't hang out with one another. There was a lot of racial tension, actually. The Jews actually looked at the Samaritans as though they were half-breeds, that they didn't belong. We don't, we don't associate with them. So Jesus looks at her and he says, can you get me a drink of water? And she's like, you don't want water for me. Like, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. And second of all, she knows that he's asking her for, for a cup of water, and he has no way to get this water, so he's going to have to use what she has. And she's thinking, we, there's not even a way that we could even share this because of who you are and who I am. And Jesus says to her that if you knew the gift that was before you, that you would ask me for something very different. 
And what Jesus does in this picture is that he invites her into a conversation. And after that, he starts to engage her about her life. You know, he starts asking her about, you know, where she, about her husband. You know, like, go, go get your husband. And she starts to talk about her life. Actually, I'm not married. And he's like, that's right, you're not. And the man you're with, is, he's not your husband. He starts to tell her about, her about her life. And we find that she realizes in a moment that he is the Messiah. He is the one the prophet spoke about. And so she left, leaving everything behind. And she went to, she went to her town to tell everybody about who she had met. Because Jesus invites those that have been excluded. That's actually who he's looking after. And we see that again in Luke chapter 19 with the story of Zacchaeus. Maybe you know this story. Zacchaeus is, a, is a, the chief tax collector. And it, what's important for you to know about that is, as you can imagine, he's a very despised man because maybe you despise chief tax collectors now. I don't know. But back in that time, he was very despised because he was wicked. He was known to take more money than he needed. He was lining his pockets. He would have gotten really wealthy on other people. And so they wouldn't have wanted to be around him. And so Zacchaeus knows that Jesus is, is in town and he's coming. He's coming through Jericho and he wants to get a look at him. And it says because he's short, he's a little shorter, so we can't quite see above the crowd. He knows that he needs to get ahead. And so he gets ahead and he finds a tree. And he climbs up the tree just so he can see Jesus. And it says that Jesus was walking and he came to the spot. He looked up at Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, get down immediately because I'm going to stay at your house tonight. And I love in that scripture how it says that Jesus came to the spot. He was looking for Zacchaeus. He was looking for him. This is who God is. He is an inviter. He is an includer. And when we see the life of Jesus, we can know how God feels, right? And today we're going to spend the majority of our time, I want us to kind of take a look at a story. We're going to spend the majority of our time in Luke, the 14th chapter. And I really love the book of Luke. The book of Luke is the third chapter, or the third book in the New Testament. He is one of the four Gospels. And I really love Luke. I really identify him with him. He's a very detailed person. In fact, we know that he was a physician. So when he would write his books, he would give a very detailed account of what was happening. And what I love about the Gospels is that each of the Gospels gives this kind of different perspective, this different vantage point. It kind of lets us look through the windows in, a, in different kind of ways. And I love the book of Luke because he writes in a lot of detail. Because I am convinced that if Luke was living on the, the earth today, he would be what we would like to call a long texter. Now, maybe you have those people in your life. I am that person in most of the people, and I, I am that person for most people. You know, when I sit, get ready to send a text, you know, maybe if the goal of the text is, can you come to coffee, I am literally doing this. Hey, girl! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I'm so excited to see you. Here are the details. Here's what you need to know. I might be wearing this. It's calling for rain. You know, lots of different things. And I wrap it all up. I check it over, make sure context is not taken out of, you know, it's like it's all good and it's, it's friendly and inviting, and I, and I send it. Now, most of the time what I get back is like K, and that breaks our heart for long. Those of us who are long texters, that will break your heart. And I am convinced that Luke is a long texter. He loves detail, and I love that he loves detail. And when we, come, when we come upon Luke 14, we see Jesus, and Jesus is at a dinner party. How many of you guys know Jesus liked to go to parties? He liked to go to parties. We like to think he likes to go to root canals. He actually likes to go to parties. You know why he likes to go to parties? Because that's where people are. 
So Jesus has been invited to a dinner party at a Pharisee's house. Now, a Pharisee would have been a religious leader at the time. And so he's kind of, he's there, and he's kind of watching how everything's kind of going. He's kind of looking around, see what he can see. He's observing what's happening. And he decides that, as Jesus does, that this is going to be a teaching moment. He is the great teacher. So he's kind of observing them, and he's watching what they're doing, and he's getting ready to kind of teach them. And the first thing that he observes, the thing that he notices first, is at this dinner party, they're all going to take their seats. And the first thing he notices is that these people are just sitting, they're choosing the best spots. They're, they're getting to the head of the table, the place where you're going to get the food the most, the be- place with the best view. They are choosing the preferred spots. And he's watching it happen. It's almost as if they don't even recognize that there could be people they don't even know at the party. And so Jesus, seeing this, he starts to give them instruction. He starts to teach them. And when Jesus is teaching us, he is teaching us the heart of the Father. He's teaching us what the kingdom of God is like. That is what he did. That was, that was his life. He was teaching us what his kingdom looked like. And so as he's getting ready to teach them, he tells them, listen, when you go to a party, don't take the best seats. That's not what you need to do. Like, because here's the deal. If you take the best seats, what if the host comes to you and is like, actually, you're not supposed to sit there. And then you get embarrassed in the crowd and you have to go to these other seats and it's like this whole thing. Instead, when you go to a party, you take the lower seat and let the host exalt you in front of the guests. And I think it's really interesting because what God is teaching us about his kingdom is that he wants us to be humble. His approach that he wants us to have is always in humility. That we're not, we're not in it for ourselves. We're not trying to figure out what the best seat is. That we should be conscious that there's other people in the room. He's teaching us to be humble. So after he's doing this, he kind of looks up at the hosts. The host, and he tells the host, hey, listen. When you have a party, when you throw a party, don't invite all the rich people. Don't invite your mother and your uncles and your cousins and the rich neighbor next door. Like, don't invite them. Because they can repay you. They can actually invite you back and you will get your reward there. But what I'm telling you is, is that when you invite, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Because if you invite them, then I, there will be a reward for you that you don't even know about yet. And what God is teaching us here is that he's teaching us what he rewards. That he actually rewards us when we're inclusive. When we include others the broken, and the hurt. That is what God wants us to be about. And so he's teaching, and he's like trying to teach what the the kingdom of God is like, and all of a sudden there's someone sitting at the table and kind of interrupts him, and he says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. So he's, you know, a religious leader. He's like, blessed is the one. What he's saying is like, hey, I want to be there. That feast, I'm so excited. I want to be at all the parties. Like, that's so good. And Jesus, probably seeing his heart and seeing what's kind of going on, he's about to teach them what the kingdom of God is like. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 14. We're going to read 16 through 23. It says, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited, say invited, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, 
I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. That word room right there could be translated, there's still opportunity. There's still a chance. And so then the master told his servant, then go out into the roads, into the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. What's interesting about this story that Jesus is teaching us is that he is teaching and he is showing us God's heart when it comes to invitation. And we've said that we can know God's intention in his heart by looking at Jesus. So let's look at what Jesus is showing us in this illustration. Because in this illustration, God is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. God is the master of the house, and we are the servants in the house. So this is what we know about God's heart that is revealed here. We know that, number one, he has prepared and he has purchased and he has provided a great deal for those who are invited. He has been providing and working it out. In fact, John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God has been preparing for those he has been inviting. We see that God is invitational. God didn't just, he, the master didn't just invite some people. He didn't just say, eh, let's just do like 10. That'll probably be good. We'll have a really good conversation. He invited many and then after the many, he said, keep extending the invitation, keep extending it. And what we see here about God's heart is that God wants every single person to experience every single thing that he has done for them. That is God's heart. He wants everybody. We see that he got angry with the excuses that the ones gave. We see that, you know, one of them is like, hey, I just, I bought this field. I just need to go see it so I, I can't come, you know, and kind of speaks of possessions, you know. Possessions aren't necessarily bad things, but when they get in between us and our relationship with God, they can be a bit of an issue. So he makes an excuse. We see the other one, he's like, hey, I just bought some of these oxen. I got to go try them out. And that kind of speaks to being busy. Like, hey, I, just, I got things I got to do, you know. And being busy in and of itself isn't horrible, but it is when it keeps us from what God wants. The last person was like, hey, I just got married. I can't come. We don't even really know, but maybe she just couldn't get ready in time. Who knows? And really, that kind of speaks to relationship. God wants us to be in relationship with one another. In fact, he's called us to community. That's what we've talked about. But he doesn't want it if it keeps us from him. So it's really important who we're in relationship with, right? And here's the thing. All these excuses, they're really just distractions. And that is what made God angry in the story, is that out of distractions, they're missing out on what he has provided, what he has done. We see that his servants, us, that we have a job. And it's our job is to tell those who have been invited that everything is ready, that it's ready for them. That is our job. That is us in the story. We see that his invitation is to the ones that have been excluded. It's very interesting to me that twice in some of these stories right here that he talks about inviting the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. It must be really important for him to say that a couple of times. 
Because God is all about the broken and the hurting. He is about the people that we're not even looking at. The people that we've thought they're too far. They, they, they wouldn't even get it. Like, they don't know. He wants them. That is who he wants. He wants the broken. We see that his direction was to invite, but there was urgency behind the invitation. He didn't just say, hey, go and invite them. Like, hopefully it works out. He says, go quickly and invite them. There is an urgency to his invitation. In fact, there is a mandate on our lives to invite, but it is not a passive mandate. It is a desperate urgency. That is what God intends for us. And then we can see one of my favorite points of this story is that God wants his house full. He doesn't want anybody to miss out. He wants his house full. He wants everybody to be invited. So as we look at this passage and we look at what Jesus is teaching us about the heart of God, there is no guessing what God's intention is for us in this body and in this house. It is to be invitational. It is for us to live in a lifestyle of inviting and including and bringing them in and going out into the streets and telling everyone, going to our workplace and going to our kids' daycares and whatever it is, that's God's intention. There's no guessing. We don't have to guess. Like, maybe God's asking me to invite. No, he is, emphatically, actually. This is what he's saying to us. But there is a huge problem because if this is God's intention for us and this is God's heart, I have a really big question. Why are we not doing it? Because the reality is, overwhelmingly, the church at large is not super invitational. In fact, when I was getting ready for this message, I, I kind of ran across some statistics, and I'm going to share them with you. But if I'm honest with you, when I was reading these statistics, I was heartbroken. I was convicted because I just really had no idea. And I, this, you know, this guy's name is Dr. Tom Rayner. He wrote a book called The Unchurched Next Door. And he did some polling with people who claim to be unchurched people. These are people who are not a part of a body. So he starts asking them questions, and he got some statistical data from the questions that he asked. And this is what he says. He says that 82% of the unchurched men and women they polled said that they would come to church if only someone would invite them. 82%. That is 8 out of 10 people said that they would come if somebody would invite them. Now, I don't know about you, but that's actually a really exciting kind of piece of data. That lends me to believe that we're on the right side of this, that if we have something great to invite them, they're willing. They just need somebody to ask them. But here's the really convicting, the really sad part of the data that he collected because he said that seven out of the ten unchurched people that he polled said that they have never been invited to a church. Seven out of ten. Eight out of ten said they would go. Seven out of ten have actually been invited. And another statistic that he gave was that 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. That means only 2% of us in a given year are inviting. So I'm left to ask a really big question, which I'm sure you're asking yourself. If God's heart is that we would invite, that we would include, why is it that we don't do it? Because that's, that's an issue. That makes me want to really look inside myself really hard. I don't know about you, but it makes me want to do that. And so as I was, you know, kind of getting ready to teach and kind of preparing this, I just kind of thought about 
three things, three reasons why I think, and this is definitely not an exhaustive list because we can all think of reasons why we're not inviting. But these three things, these three reasons why we're not inviting kind of stuck out to me, and I want to go through them with you, okay? And my prayer is, is that as we go through these, that we would all have some inner reflection, that we would ask God, hey, search me. Like, tell me what part is it that I'm playing in this? Am I inviting? Let's be honest and real and transparent. This is not to shame anybody because let me tell you something. I could, I, I'm raising two hands right here. I have not done it either. There have been times where I've been given an opportunity and I don't invite either. So I'm, I'm with you. But I want us to ask God to reveal to us where we're at when it comes to invitation. One of the first things that I immediately thought about when why we don't inv- invite is that we just don't think about it. You know, I think for the majority of us, it's not that we don't not want to invite. We just don't really think about it, if we're really honest. It's not a part of our day-to-day life. We're just kind of doing what we're doing, and before we even know it, the day's gone, and we just, we haven't really thought about other people. You know, Dr. Tom Rayner, who did that study, another statistic that he gave was that for the average church member, so he's saying for the average person who accepts Jesus into their life, gets connected into a body, that after they do this and they get connected into a church, that in two years, their passion for the mission to reach people will begin to dwindle. It takes about two years. Now, many of you, if you can remember your salvation story, know exactly about this statistic. Because how many of you remember the day you got saved, how exciting it was? It's like going from gray to color all at once. It's like you know love like you've never known love before. And you're just, it just is so amazing like what God's done and that we get to be a part of it. And, and we're so excited. We just tell everybody about Jesus, right? Somebody drops their keys. We're like, God doesn't drop you. We're just saying weird things to people. And it's because it's just coming out of us, you know? Like we just love God so much. We're on fire for him. We just want to tell everybody. Then what happens is, is that that passion for the lost begins to dwindle. And it's not that we, we decided to be that way. It's that's the nature of humans. It's like when you get a good gift on Christmas and it's so exciting until two weeks later and you're like, I'm not even playing with that thing anymore. It's like, it's the reality of it, right? It's the nature of us because it shows us that we naturally, our bent is to become inward focus. That is our natural gravitational pull. Because what happens is, is that we get saved, we get plugged into a body, and we're really enjoying ourselves, you know, it's like God's so good, and we come in, and like, you know, we get to see the greeters, and people, are, our friends are here, and we're like hanging out, and when we had coffee, we were like getting the coffee, and the coffee was so good, and the half and half, and it was just really nice, and we come into the building, and we do worship, and worship is super exciting, it's engaging, sometimes we don't really like their song choices, but for the most part, we like it, and we're like, man, that song today, and like, do you hear it, and like, yeah, it was so good, and we just, we really love it, and we're engaging, and then we get it, it connected into a connect group, and we're with our group groups and we're like meeting in small in small smaller settings and we're really loving it and we're kind of growing and we're kind of all you know encouraging one another praying for one another it feels so good and we're all together we have parties and and then what happens is we come in and we hear the preaching and we love it you know pastor reagan did an okay job today but last week you really killed it i mean we we start getting to these preference kind of things you know like we just start to think about all these things and 
And then we, we, we have friends. We, we develop friendships here, and we hang out with them. We go to coffee with them, and, and we, we do all these things. If you're a young person, you go to youth, and you love youth, and you're all jumping together, and you're so excited, and you're like, yeah, it's so great. And if you're a young adult, you come to young adults on Monday nights, and you play volleyball with each other, and you're just all hanging out. If you're a young family, you bring your kids to our family events, and you have a great time. None of that is bad. In fact, God has prepared the table for us to enjoy it. The problem is, is that when we get so focused on this, that without even meaning to, we get so focused on what we like and what's good and what's meeting our needs that we stop inviting. That happens first. We get just so excited and we're just in the busyness of church. You know, we're doing all the things and we just, we, we stop inviting. And then once we stop inviting, what happens next is, is that we stop expecting that there will even be unchurched people in the room. Because once you, start, once you stop inviting, the next step is to not even see people. I just see my friends. I don't even expect that there would be unsaved people in this room. And then what happens is when we stop expecting that unsaved people will be in the room, we stop caring that the room is full. And Jesus said, I want my room full. We never, we don't intend to do it. That's the reality. And I think this, this passage in Luke shows us this, this, Jesus knows it. It's why he's kind of teaching them, like, listen, the temptation for you is to think all about yourself, for it to be all about your own preferences. But I'm telling you, I see people, and we need to be including some people at the table. And if this is you today, you need to ask God to give you eyes to see people. Ask him to give you a heart to make the room full. That is the mandate on every single one of us that are sitting here. And God will do it. He will be faithful to give you eyes to see people. The second reason, that second thing I kept thinking through and the reasons why we don't invite is, is apathy. You know, apathy is, you know, it's at, the, at its core, it's just a lack of interest. Like, we're just like we're bored, don't really care anymore. We feel indifferent. Like, eh. and here, what we're saying is, it's not that I'm not thinking about it. I actually just don't care. And apathy is a huge, huge problem. And it should be scary for us as, unbel- as believers. Because let me tell you, it comes in very slowly. And before you know it, you have gone from a passionate relationship with Jesus to being completely apathetic. Where you don't even care. And it's because maybe for you, it's like, you know, like the whole reading the word thing has like gotten old. So it's like, I don't really do it. And basically you're coming Sunday to Sunday and you're kind of getting something there, but it's not enough to really sustain you. And so, you know, that happens. Or maybe you go through something in life, you know, a situation. And instead of digging down deep and being rooted in the Lord, just start having all these questions. Or maybe you're letting culture come in so much in your life that you stop even like there's no purity there. And so what happens is when we kind of let culture invade, we start having the ideas of culture instead of what God has for us. We start questioning, like, what's all this even about anyways? And if today that is you, my question for you is, where is your relationship with God? To really ask yourself, are you flourishing and are you thriving? That is what God's intention for you as a believer is. In fact, I love one of my favorite scriptures is found in Jeremiah chapter 17. And Jeremiah is a prophet in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah, as a prophet, he's basically the mouthpiece of the Lord for the Israelites. He's someone that God is using to speak to the Israelites, to his people. 
And in Jeremiah 17, he kind of talks about this idea of thriving. And he says, cursed are those who put their trust in men. That's, that's where you're putting it in. It's like your works, what you can do, and other people. Because you will be like a barren wasteland. He's telling them it will be uninhabitable. Nobody's going to want to be around you. Like you're just going to be doing your thing. You won't be flourishing. You won't be thriving. You're just doing your thing. You're putting your trust in yourself. You can't trust anybody. You're really guarded. Nothing will be able to grow there. But he says, blessed is the one who puts their trust in the Lord, whose hope and confidence is in him. Because he, descri- he paints a picture of what that person is like. He, he describes him as a tree planted by the river. That's roots grow down really deep. And as these roots grow down really deep, they do not fear when there is heat, when there are trials. They do not have anxiety when there is not rain. When things aren't coming in, we're not anxious. He says that they are all, their leaves are green. It's this a picture of flourishing, and they're bearing fruit. That is the life that God has called us to live. If you are in a passionate relationship with Jesus, you've asked him to come into your heart, and you have made him the Lord of your life, our lives should look like trees planted by a river. And if your life doesn't look like that, there is no shame. But what I would ask you is ask the Lord to renew his, your love for him. Ask him to bring you back to what it was like when you realized, when Paul writes in Romans 5, verses 8, but God demonstrates his own love for this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Do you live a life where that is what you're feeding on? Every day, thank you, God. Thank you that while I was a sinner, you died for me. You thought of me. You welcomed me. I belong to you. Because let me tell you, if we're living that life, a natural response to a flourishing relationship with Jesus would be that we would include others. We see that because when Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, he tells them, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The flow wasn't like, hey, come and follow me and maybe we can figure this out. It was like, if you follow me, I will make you this. The natural response to a relationship with God is that we would follow him and that we would invite others to follow him as well. So maybe today that's what you need to pray. You need to pray that God would renew your love for him. Maybe today the reason why you don't invite people is because of fear. It's real. We're afraid. And I thought of a lot of questions that we have when it comes to fear. And one of the questions I think about is, what if they reject me? What if they're mean? You know, like what if they say something really weird to me? And I'm like, what? And it hurts my feelings. And... And I would say to you, you know, my experience, and I'm not saying that I'm, I, I have the only experience here, but my general experience, when I've invited someone and it has been out of love, where I'm so full of God that I just want to love people, I have never had someone be mean to me. They have said no. Now, I'm not saying they won't say no, but I am saying they will not reject you or embarrass you. In fact, they will feel thought of if we do it the right way if we do it out of love. Because the reality is, we are not responsible for the response. We are responsible for the ask. We are not responsible for whether or not people choose to come, what they say. I am responsible and will be accountable for whether or not I asked. Another question maybe when it comes to fear is, is what if they ask me questions I don't know the answers to? What if I'm like, hey, do you want to come to church with me at Christmas? And they're like, sure, can you please explain to me the seven bowls of revelations? I mean, I'm going to be honest, I feel that way sometimes, and I would be like, what? 
You know, like, uh huh, you know? We get afraid of that. But let me tell you something Jesus did not call us to be his attorneys. That is not what he called us. He did not call us to come and defend him and have a presentation of how we're going to defend his rights and and explain all the things and lay out all the prophets and all the things. Jesus called us to be witnesses. Witnesses are different than attorneys. A witness tells of what they have experienced. And let me tell you this, no one can argue with you about your experience with Jesus. If you tell them what my life was like before Jesus, when I realized I needed him and what life has been like after, they cannot argue with you about that. And in fact, that's usually what draws people to him. You know, I love, I love the, you know, we were talking about when, when Peter and Andrew came to the Lord. There's also some scripture when Jesus calls Philip. You know, Jesus goes to Philip and he says, come and follow me. So Philip immediately goes to his friend Nathaniel and he's like, listen, I have met the one that Moses and the prophets talked about. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Lord. And immediately Nathaniel's response, you know what it was? It wasn't like, yes, let me come and follow. It was, what? Could something good come out of Nazareth? Like he's like asking this really poignant question. And Philip didn't go, well, actually, I'm glad that you asked that. If you would sit down, I want to give you this presentation. That's not what he said. You know what he said? He said, come and see for yourself. That's what he said. And that is the invitation that we extend to people. Come and see for yourself. See that he is good. He is so good. Come and see for your, like, experience it. There is nothing like being in the room. You know, it's just, it's knowing how to navigate that. Another question you may have when it comes to fear is like, what if they see the real me? What if they see that I'm not perfect? You know, like, what if I ask them to come to church and then we get to church and they see me lifting my hands, but they also know how I was like on Thursday and they just know I'm like not perfect. And, you know, the reality is, is that none of us are. Join the club. The reality is Jesus would never have asked us to invite people if he was looking for perfect people because he knows that we are not perfect. But let me tell you this, you are not perfect, but you are the perfect person to reach your neighbor. You are the perfect person to reach your family members. You are the perfect person to reach your friends because you are in their life. So you are perfect in that way. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, like maybe the question is, is like, what if I'm awkward and I don't know what to say? How many of you ever felt that? It's like, join the club again. I'm one of the most awkward humans possible. Just ask anybody who does life with me. In fact, I think I have a sticker on my forehead that's like, let's be awkward together. It just, that just tends to be what happens. And, you know, I just have learned to embrace it. You know, sometimes inviting, it's awkward. It's like, oh, and you know when you're supposed to do it because you get this, like, your palms start getting sweaty and you're like, hearts in your stomach. And you're like, I got to do it, I got to do it, I got to do it. And like, I know. And like, am I going to do it? And you're like, sweating bullets. People are like, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, it's fine. You're just, you know, like, are you sure? Um, and you know, the re- I, I heard this pastor, he was talking and he was like, you know, it's hard to invite. He said, but what I always tell my congregation is look for the three, look for the three knots. These are really good indicators that someone would be primed for an invitation. Number one, he said, look for them to say things are not going well. If they start to engage in a conversation, they're saying, hey, things aren't really going well in my life. Like, this isn't really working out. I I didn't really realize what was happening or, you know, I'm like, I'm having to do this and I wasn't planning on it or we got this diagnosis. That's a great indicator that they would be ready for an invitation. They're going through something and they need hope. Another good not to look for is that things, things that they are not prepared for. Man, you know, like I've not, I've not really been prepared for this child we just had. 
You know, I'm, life just looks kind of crazy or, you know, I've not really been prepared for taking care of my parents like this. That's a really great indicator that they could really use some community, that we could say, hey, I have a place that would accept you or people would rally around you and help you. And then look for them to say, I'm not in church. That's a really great indicator that they are primed and ready for an invitation, that they're not in church. You know, I think sometimes we just really overcomplicate it, you know, because at the end of the day, when we go to invite, we're just inviting people into a conversation. You know, I don't, I don't really, when I'm inviting and I'm not really looking to be like, hey, let me tell you about how great New Hope is. I want to engage someone. And then when they start telling me something, I want to tell them what I have. Let me tell you about this Jesus. Let me tell you about this community of believers that I'm a part of, Right? It's funny because when I was getting ready this week, as you would know, Jesus, he's got a sense of humor. He gave me a prime opportunity to put into practice what I am teaching you today. In fact, I was at um, a restaurant. I went with Mackenzie, and we were, um, were sitting at the table, and the waitress comes up, and she immediately, I, I frequent this restaurant a lot, and you know that because her immediate response to me was like, oh, my gosh, you're out of the car. I'm like, okay, well, Wow, yeah, here I am. I'm out of my car this time. And uh, we start to engage in a conversation. So already I kind of know her. She's been bringing food out to my car, and we, you know, gauge a little bit here and there. And so we're just kind of talking to her, and she's like bringing our food, and no big deal. And at the very end, we're kind of like wrapping it all up. I'm like signing my check, and I just kind of asked her, hey, what are your plans for Thanksgiving? And immediately, I'm not kidding you, immediately everything about her life just starts pouring out. She says, actually, I'm really worried about Thanksgiving. You know, my parents are divorced. They've been divorced for a long time now. My mom, she struggles with a mental health disorder. She's tried to commit suicide several times. She just moved here. I'm now taking care of her. In fact, a couple, several weeks ago, she tried to commit suicide again. I had to take her to the hospital. She's going to come to Thanksgiving. I'm really nervous about what it's going to be like. And to top it all off, it's my birthday. And immediately, I knew I have to invite her. So I'm sitting there thinking, you know, like, I'm, I'm just like you, like, okay, this is it. I know it's going to happen. Like, where is it going to happen? You know, like, trying to find the perfect place where I don't feel like I'm, like, a, a weirdo, you know, like, all this stuff. And I just looked at her and said, hey, listen, I know exactly what that feels like because I've experienced some of that, too. But let me tell you a place that you can come where you can experience Jesus and you can experience a community of believers that will walk life out with you. And you know what she said? Okay. She didn't say she was going to come. She didn't say, you know, whatever. But that's the, the thing is, is that I'm not actually responsible about whether or not she comes, what her response was like. I knew that my responsibility in the situation was to ask her. So my question to you is, what will you do with this mandate? You know, the reason why I am so passionate about invitation is because I am a product of invitation. A little bit about me, I, I was born to two parents who were very broken humans. Not because they chose to be, but because of things that had happened in their life. One from a background of abuse, another from a very religious household, both running from the Lord. 
And here I come, I enter into the world, and the shock of their life, I am a horrible child. I mean, me and my mom talk about it all the time. If I could go and sit down with you at coffee, I could tell you all the things that I have done. The fact that they had me and just loved me anyways is just pretty fantastic because I was horrible. I mean, I've drugged my grandmother with my Barbie Corvette through the streets and just like a whole thing, and um, I was just really bad. And my mom said that when she had me, there was this thought of like, this is a gift from God. Like, she had this realization that she knew that this was a gift from God. She didn't quite know what to do with it, you know, and here I am, like, eight or nine, seven, eight, nine, you know, whatever. And I'll never forget the summer. It was like a summertime, and I grew up with a bunch of boys in a cul-de-sac. We were all really close, and everybody was getting ready for our talent show. We had my house. We had, like, some tile next to the fireplace, and we would, every year we would do a talent show. And I was super excited. Now, this was the first year that we didn't do a collective effort. It was like we all went on our own to do our own thing. That should have been the first problem for me is that I didn't really collaborate with anybody else. And so we all just kind of did our thing. And then talent show comes, parents are sitting there. And I'm starting to realize, like, my talent is a little different than everybody else's because these little boys are coming up. One's doing, like, a basketball trick. One did a magic trick. One, you know, did, I don't know, showed how to play a video game. I don't even know. And I was like, Mine is going to look a little different, everybody, but join in with me. I'm going to be singing I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men. And I don't have to tell you that that was a horrible situation for my parents because the song in and of itself just describes it. So at seven or eight, I am singing I Will Make Love to You, and I'm watching my parents look like horrified. Like if they could have died in the moment, that would have been better. And my mom said she knew right then something has to happen. As she was very worried that I was going to end up on cops one day. It was, like a, it was like a whole situation. And so she's, you know, she's primed and ready. And she had this friend of hers that she went to high school with. Her name was Crystal. Crystal and my mom are really good friends. And Crystal called her one day. It was October. And Crystal said, hey, listen, my church is having a fall festival. You and Jessica should come. And she was like well, okay, this is interesting because I know that I need to put this child in church. But here's the problem, Crystal, is that Jessica only has a witch costume. That's all she wanted to be. And I remember my mom told me that Crystal told her, that's okay, you bring that little girl on. And so me and my mom showed up at this Halloween event. I was the only witch at the place. So if you wanted to know who I was, I was in the witch costume. And you know what happened? We got plugged in. We got connected, and I would give my heart to the Lord in Miss Mitchum's Sunday school class. And that decision has changed my life forever. It was the best decision I could have ever made. Because God is so good. And the reality is, when we are not inviting, we are holding back on the best decision somebody could make. So my question to you is, what are you going to do? Are you going to invite It may be uncomfortable and it may be weird. Youth, it should bother you that the room isn't full on Wednesday nights. You have friends who are struggling with depression. They want to kill themselves. They are living in a world full of chaos and they need you to invite them into the room. That's it. That's all you have to do. And you know what? It might cost us. But let me ask you a question. Are we willing to do that? Jesus paid everything for us. Like, who am I to just be like, you know what? This might embarrass me. That's not God's heart for us. So I want you to stand with me. And as you stand with me, you had a card on your seat. I want you to hold that up. I want to see everybody's card. Pick that up as you stand. 
This is an invitation card because if we're going to talk about invitation, it is very important that we leave with some practical things that you can do. You know, statistically, people are more likely to come to church at Christmas than any other time of the year. Maybe it's because we're at the whole, you know, holiday celebrating the birth of Jesus. So maybe they're like, I probably should know a little bit about him. But people are ready to come into the house. They just need to be asked. Eight out of ten people said that they would come if they were invited. So this is your hands-on challenge. I want you to invite people into the room because the room should be full. And this is not about numbers for New Hope. This is about people and this is about the kingdom of God. It is about people experiencing what life is like with him. It is people experiencing freedom. Do we want that in our lives? We need to invite people. There is someone you can invite. Maybe it's a coworker, a friend, a neighbor. Maybe it's a, fr- a, a friend that you met at a coffee shop. Or maybe it's the barista. Or maybe you're going to Old Navy and you see somebody. Whatever it is, I, my prayer is, is that you would ask God to tell you who it is. This could be a really fun challenge for all of us. You know, in October, when Pastor Reagan and Pastor Joy were talking about our church, there was that picture, right, of the roof blown off and there's light coming out. The only way we're going to be that way is that if we extend an invitation. So let's do it. And in fact, when you give them this card, we want you to give them this card. There's a little note on the back that says, bring this card with you for a special gift. Here's what we can tell you is that when they bring this card back, they're going to be welcomed. They're going to get a gift. Christmas is going to be fun. We're going to have lots of giveaways. We're going to do some really fun things. But this is the most beautiful thing about it. I promise you that the gospel will be shared. They will have an opportunity to choose God. So I want you to invite. I want you to close your eyes with me. We're going to pray. And today, if you are in the room and maybe you have not accepted the invitation of Jesus, my prayer is today that you would accept the greatest invitation you could ever accept. The word says that Jesus stands at our heart and he knocks, that all you have to do is open the door to him. And in Romans, Paul Paul tells us that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the invitation for you today. And if you have never received and accepted this invitation, I pray that you do not leave without accepting this invitation. It is the greatest invitation you will ever get. It is going from a life full of darkness and chaos and confusion to a life of hope. And you can do that right in your, in your seat. You don't, you don't need anybody up here praying for you. You can do it right there. You just do it right at your seat. And then for those of us who are in the room this morning, and we would say that we're followers of God, I pray that you would ask God to search your heart when it comes to invitation. That you would have boldness, that you would not fear, that you would not be apathetic, and that you you would see people. So Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. God, I thank you that you have knit each one of them together, Lord that you have designed them and you've given them purpose. Lord, and I pray, God, for those who have never accepted you today, I pray that they would, they would accept the invitation that is you, Jesus, that you are the best thing that could ever happen in their life. 
And God, I pray for those of us who call ourselves believers, Jesus. I pray that you would search our hearts. God, I pray if we have been living in fear of invitation, God, I pray that you would give us boldness. God, we repent, Lord, for not seeing people in the room. God, we repent for not inviting. We repent for not expecting that unchurched people would be here. God, we repent for not having this, this, this idea and this picture that you want the room full. God, we repent. We ask you, God, that you would give us eyes to see people. And Lord, if there are any today who are apathetic, God, I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to return to you, Jesus. God, that you would cause us to have a flourishing, thriving, life-giving relationship with you, Jesus. God, I thank you for every person in this room. God, I pray for these invitation cards as they go out. God, that you would anoint them. Lord, that you would show every person in this room who it is that they're to invite. And God, I pray that you would give them the divine opportunity to do it. God, we love you. We're so excited about celebrating your birth because God, we celebrate your birth because you you lived a life. God, you would eventually be crucified for us. That is what we're celebrating. So God, I pray, Lord, that these invitations would go out and they would return people to you, Jesus, that the room would be full. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.